It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show Mr. Joel Ivany. He is the the founder and artistic director of Against the Grain Theatre. And he's also the artistic director of the opera of opera at Banff Center. Joining him is his partner Miriam Khalil, and she has appeared on numerous opera stages across Canada and Europe, including the renowned Glydebourne Festival Opera in the United Kingdom. She's an, an alumni of the Canadian Opera Company Ensemble Studio, and she won first place in the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions for the Great Lakes region, and sub- subsequently appeared in the, the two thousand. 2007 documentary, The Audition, and it's a pleasure and welcome to both of you to Moment of Truth. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having us. Well, it's a pleasure to have you both on the show, and as uh, it's kind of timely for the time of year, you might say, uh, because what we're going to be talking about is is something that you guys worked on. It's uh, It was in, actually in partnership with the uh, TSO, the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, uh, a presentation of Messiah slash Complex. We're going to get into that in a little bit about why it's called that. Co-directed uh, also, as we mentioned, by yourself, Joel, and uh, Renalta Ardluk, and she's the Director of Indigenous Arts at the Banff Centre, and also conducted by Joannes Debus, Debut. So, uh, so congratulations to all of you on this, uh, this production. Uh, you know, when I was looking this over, it sounds wonderful. And, you know, part of the understanding I, I, I get is, you know, COVID-19 has, has thrown us into a lot of strange situations. But in this case, it really sounds like COVID kind of added to some of the elements that you guys were able to do because of where you filmed it, the, the, the people that you brought into it. You brought in some indigenous artists and you were able to film this in some, some really unique and beautiful uh, ways incorporating both language, incorporating uh, interpretations from an indigenous perspective. Uh, gee, I could go on, but I, I'm going to throw it over to you, Joel. How did all this get started? Well, I guess the the quick short short, which is maybe kind of mid length uh, background, is you know Maasai has been a part of I guess Canada's staple for mm. many many years with orchestras all across Canada and. Um, We've interpreted it before in 2013 and then redid it in 2015, but where we asked the soloists and chorus to memorize the entire work mm. and we staged it, we choreographed it, we had lighting and costumes yeah. and um, that was a really kind of different, it kind of stood out in comparison to the TSO's traditional Messiah and Tafel yep. Music's as well. Mm-hmm. And when this pandemic hit, um, we were planning to revive it um, just to because it had been a while since we had done it. But then with restrictions and everything kind of being taken online, we, we realized that wouldn't be possible. And so like many organizations, we, we used the P word, we pivoted and we took this online. And all of a sudden, it's kind of like when one door closes, another one opens up. And we just kind of said, you know, we have an opportunity where perhaps because of restrictions with COVID, we can't travel to different places. We can't really bring in people to Toronto, but what we can do is kind of have different people all over Canada. And wouldn't it be kind of cool if instead of the traditional four soloists, we had a soloist 
represented from every province and territory in Canada. Hmm. And that idea kind of snowballed into another where it was right when all the protests around George Floyd mm. were happening in North America and the world. And we wanted to be a company that would advocate for inclusion and equity. And so we just decided that we would find every soloist to be um, either indigenous, black, or a person of color. Mm. And that kind of, again, snowballed into involving Renelta Arluk um, to sort of oversee that component of it, especially mm -hmm. in relation to our indigenous mm -hmm. um, peoples yep. in Canada and how we're working towards reconciliation. And um, it kind of just snowballed from there. So that's kind of how the, the genesis of it started. But um, my goodness, we live in a beautiful country in terms of people and land. Thanks for sharing that. And, and Miriam, we're going to get to you. So please don't think we're not going to uh, include you in this conversation. But I just want to flesh the, this out a little bit more, if you don't mind, Joel. Uh, it, it, great that you, you, you set that up for us. So what did it entail in, in getting the people then after that? Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, taking the approach you did, because now you have different uh, partners, you might say, to do this. You had to get a film crew. Uh, you still had the TSO involved, um, but then you had to find locations and, and wonderful. Uh, you found some great, you know, sort of unique areas. So can you take us a little bit through the, through the development more stage then? Yeah. As soon as this idea became a bit more fleshed out, I'd been in touch with Loey Fallis, who is part of the admin team at the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And as they were having to rethink what their programming would look like, there was a small sliver of an opportunity where we could partner with them to kind of lay down the the track, so to speak, mm. for the the singers. And mm. COVID, we weren't, uh, we didn't have singers with the orchestra, mm. um, but it was their first time in nine months or eight months coming back to play as a group larger than four players at mm. Kerner Hall. Yeah. So that was a very special moment to to record that music and mm -hmm. to capture that and the snippets and the, the bits of the film that we have. And then it was kind of emailing out different artists. And a great thing that I learned as well as researching different artists that I was not familiar with. Mm. And um, it's kind of like that should be done more often because you can find some incredible people. And that's what led to finding artists like Diet um, and Deantha and Julie Lumsden, um, and partnering with with other organizations like the Yukon Art Center, who have been with us um, kind of through the pandemic, sponsoring some online resources as well. So all of a sudden, as soon as you kind of think outside of Toronto, everything can open up. And not every artist was completely on board from the get-go. It took mm -hmm. a little bit of trust in terms of trying to find out why we were doing this mm -hmm. and what the idea was behind it. Sure. And then um, once they accepted it, then it was kind of really supporting them with their desires in terms of what would you like, what does this music mean to you? What does this project mean to you? And let's show that and let's involve where, where we can't travel. Let's involve local filmmakers and videographers to help explore where and what and um my goodness, it's yeah. I'm. We were just blown away by um, how it all came together, and I want to say, in a lot of ways, we were very lucky how it all came together. But we had sort of a central team here in Toronto who um, made sure that the specifics regarding sound and video were 
pretty close to the same so that it, once we pieced it all together, that it would I, hopefully and um, make sense v- both visually and audibly as well. Right. You said some really interesting things there about like, you know, once you started searching outside of Toronto, uh, which it sounds like you necessarily wouldn't necessarily have done that had COVID not been given this, the kind of... Uh, well, yeah, that's it. Exactly. It's this whole idea, which has been so powerful for us and for people that that, that are sending comments back. This mm-hmm. This is because of the pandemic and you know, we haven't used that at hardly at all in a good way that yeah. because of this pandemic, this film was made in this sort of unity and joy and um, moment. And so, yeah, that's something that we're very grateful for because the reach has been further than any live show that we've ever done. Mm. It, beyond the, the reach, though, that you're talking about, it also sounds like this has it's been educational on a number of fronts, but uh, the the fact that you wanted to be inclusive and you started to look for uh, members of the BIPOC community that could be represented in this uh, as well. It sounds like, and then you had other questions brought to you from the artists that, as you say, weren't necessarily on board from the very get-go. That's interesting in itself. So there was further education and a, a two-way education that was going on there. And exactly. If, 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 and I'm fortunate enough to be on faculty at Banff Center where they're taking a very, Indigenous issues are becoming a much more central part of their focus. And I've been, I've learned a lot over the last few years. And to be able to implement that in a small way um, is, is good. It's important. It's what was called for. And so if I'm feeling that there, there must be many other Canadians who want to know how they can do that as well and to, to participate by watching this film and being open to a different interpretation is, is a small, small step that can be done. But yeah, like you said, it's uh we've learned a whole heck of a lot. And I think, I think in classical music, we have been a little exclusive and um, I think we need to work a little bit more on changing what, what kind of definitions we use for what is perfection, what is, um, the top and um, being a lot more open into into what Canada is. Mm. Now, before we get to Miriam, because I think Miriam's going to uh, capsulize this for us in many ways uh, from her own upbringing and background. So I, I want to save that for a moment. But can you share with us a little bit more about the, the artists that you did get involved and the parts of the country they come from and their backgrounds? Yeah, it was it was a bit of a musical chairs in terms of we needed certain voice types mm. represented from certain diverse backgrounds from certain provinces. So mm. it took it was I had a big chart to make sure that we were um, getting that all done. But we to see sort of Deantha Edmonds in in Newfoundland, who is Canada's only professional Anuk classical singer was an incredible sort of to hear her story about <clears throat> about music and language and her father <clears throat> and then Diet in Yukon on the extreme western part of Canada how she had her parts translated into southern Toshone and interpreted and that was helped by her 91 year old grandmother <laughs> was um, again, just shows how how difficult and awful the residential school system was mm. in trying to eliminate 
that particular thing, language, um, and also having an element like Elliot Medore, who grew up playing hockey and was supported by his grandparents and mother, and um, to revisit that same hockey arena as a grown man to sort of see how that transition happened and to be grateful to his grandfather, um, again, was another special moment. And of course, Miriam's as well, where I'm sure you'll get into it with her, but where she interpreted mm -hmm. um, the language and the music and brought sort of her background into it, mm -hmm. into a very special place, St. Raphael's Ruins. Yeah. yeah, it's everyone, every video has a story and that's what's kind of beautiful the more you unpack it. Yeah, exactly. That's why I wanted you to to sort of help us with that to to because like you said there's a story and the story is visual as well because we get to see that. And I, I think you know to some degree from from the the one video that I was able to see and that was the the one in, in Newfoundland on on the shores there of the ocean uh there there's a pride in that performance that that comes across. Exactly. And and that's that's what's again that's what's so complex about this is there's no right answer for how either our indigenous people will respond mm. or how we will respond either. Mm. And, um, Diantha is very proud. Yeah. That, mm. That's a great description. And it's, it's honoring both her past and present and future by, by mixing both the language and this music, which, which was brought to the shores of Newfoundland uh, over 200 years ago. Mm. They were playing Handel and Bach and Mozart. Um, and so that was important to her father and her family. So it's, yeah, that's what makes it rich and complex. And um, there's layers to, to what we're trying to do and what, what we have to do in Canada, especially towards reconciliation. Right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a pleasure to have with me here on the show Joel Ivney. He is the founder and artistic director of Against the Grain Theatre. We also have with us who has been mostly silent up until this point and I apologize for that Miriam but uh we're going to we're going to get to you in a moment uh, Miriam uh, Khalil and she is uh, uh also uh with us and she is um she's performed on numerous stages across Canada and Europe and um before we once more get to you Miriam uh, Joel tell us about the performance because this is an online performance people can watch it online yeah, and it, th that's kind of it. it. We've our company has made it. Uh, everyone was paid. We paid for the, the making of this thing, but we wanted to. We know how difficult this year has been, not just for artists but for everyone. So we wanted to. Our company, Against the Green Theater, wanted to gift this to mm. everyone during this season. So mm. it's a seventy-eight minute film. Mm. It's um, highlights, I guess you could say, of Handel's Messiah. Yep. Um, it's shot by twelve. There are 12 soloists, there are four choirs, there are six different languages, and there's representation from every province and territory in Canada. And if you just go to www.atgtheater.com, you just register, it's free to register, and then you can watch it on demand up until January 7th. Great. Uh, that's fabulous, and thanks for sharing that. 
Uh, Miriam, sorry for, sorry for holding you off for so long, but uh, really I wanted to establish the basis around the, the performance of Messiah Complex uh, because I think that your own background and your own upbringing as someone from outside of Canada coming to Canada as, uh, as, as a new uh, person, uh, growing up, learning French, English, uh, but speaking your own language uh, uh, from Syria in your own home with your parents who, who wouldn't let you speak English to them at the time. Um, you wanted to fit in, and and um, you know now you have you're involved with this this performance that you know really has included numerous people of different backgrounds, different uh, cultures, and languages. That's all been thrown into this mix, and I think that that what you bring to this uh, sort of ties all that together. Thank you. Yeah, I. It's it's a huge honor to be part of it, and I think it's um, one of the things that are really important about this project is that it's not just Canadian visually, but it's Canada vocally and artistically, and I think that's kind of a huge thing that we need to sort of... Um, yeah, it's it's a new way of presenting, but it's also some it's it's a very personal way of presenting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm so glad that ATG took the route of finding a way to tell people's stories, because mm-hmm. I think specifically in classical music, um, which, you know, I've been involved in, in for about 20 years now, um, you kind of leave yourself at the door and you're at the mercy of the music. But um, I think we're in a time right now where it's completely different. We need to do more mm. and it needs to be more um, artist based. But also um, when you see the, the audience, which is everybody is complaining, is dwindling. Um, we you have to look at why and are these, you know, um, experiences that we're presenting are they relatable to everybody Mm. and um are we seeing everyone's face and are we are we seeing everyone represented properly and with respect and um so i think that is kind of a huge thing um about this project because the elements are all so well thought out and so sensitively put together um so yeah on a general note that's (laughs) right yeah. So now, as I say, you you uh, you were raised outside of Canada, and mm-hmm. I understand you you sang uh, very early on uh, with your with your dad when you were younger. Right. So we moved. To, um, I'm Lebanese, but we lived in Damascus, Syria, and we moved when I was seven. And my first singing experience was um, in the church choir with my father. And that's how we, you know, that's how, how I express myself musically at a very young age. Um, and when we first moved here, um, it was like music was kind of my only way of uh, hmm. being seen in a way. <laughs> I didn't speak English mm. or French, but I was in the choir mm. and, um, and I had a voice. And that was, I think, a, a big thing because from being somebody that couldn't speak, it's you kind of lose your your way in a, in in a, a, you know, when you're seven, you can't really express yourself. Um, And so that was a big thing. Music was a huge thing. And then um, the element of the church and church music sort of 
was always in the background because, you know, that's what you do with your family. Um, but we were specifically Melkite Catholic, which is derived from the Greek Orthodox tradition where mm -hmm. everything is sung in the mass. Right. So it's very, very musical. And so that is an element that, uh, you know, Joel and I, when we were talking about it, um, I said, well, you know, we would normally sing the liturgy in our, um, in our church. And this is, this is liturgy. This is, you know, this is the Bible. Mm. I would love to sing the verse that I'm singing in, you know, that I would normally sing in English, mm. but do it in the way that you would uh, do it at our church because it, you know, our church is, um, it's from the root. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's a lot older than Handel. So it was just a very kind of cool way to, to kind of um, express my sort of tradition right. within this work. And when, as someone who couldn't speak English, then had to learn French and English, being raised in, in Ottawa, you, you spent uh, your life in, in the Ottawa area, um, what, what drew you to, say, get into more of this style of, of operatic singing then? That's a great question. I started out, I wanted to be the next Whitney Houston because <laughs> <laughs> one of the songs we learned in, uh, in the choir that I was first a part of was uh, Greatest Love of All. Mm. And, um, but as I continued singing, you know, uh, people would say, you know, you should have voice lessons. I, I started studying with a teacher at 14 who was incredible. She never told me not to do my own traditional music or pop she just said for whatever you bring me that's not classical I'd like you to learn a classical song so mm -hmm. eventually and it wasn't because I didn't want to do the other stuff but eventually I became very very interested in in more the classical uh world of things mm -hmm. um it challenged me uh it was I loved the aspect of uh, language and how it was expressed in the music. I mean, I didn't even really understand it at, at that age. I just mm. knew that it was beautiful. Mm. Um, and then when we were, um, do you want the long story? But basically, <laughs> basically, when I was going into university, I, I was um, thinking of going into music therapy. Mm. And I needed to uh, do a year in music regardless. And so I decided to major in voice. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted to be a major in voice, you had to do the, uh, the opera. So I was in the chorus and just even hearing my student colleagues sing in that style, because up until that point, really, I hadn't really been very exposed to it mm -hmm. other than just the lessons. Um, that made me think, well, I think I want to do this. I love the expression. I love the way the music expresses something that can't be said in words mm. um and the aspect of being a part of a team like you know in in a production uh it's not it wasn't like so like you do have your solos and all this stuff but it was part of you were it was bigger than yourself um so that kind of really excited me and uh and so that that's kind of how it launched into i want to be an opera singer you know, I, I kind of, uh, so that, that was the beginnings of it. Okay, well, thank you for that explanation. Now, you yourself had a challenge because uh, working on this piece for the Messiah Complex, the, 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 the piece that you worked on, I understand it didn't translate into your, your language, and you, you had to go and, and ask your parents for help on this, I, I believe. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, biblical text. Mm -hmm. So I looked up the verse and there was too many words (laughs) within (laughs) the verse. And I just called my parents and I said, I want to put this into the music. Is there any way we can kind of, you know, keep the meaning, not change the words so that it's not, um, you know, Mm. veering off too much because I was aware that I also wanted to sing, sing the verse in Arabic beforehand. Mm. Um, And so they they helped me kind of take out the ands and ifs <laughs> mm, okay. and they were pretty amazing about that and i you know i sang it uh i sang each phrase into the you know into the music and once it was ready i i called them up and they were like oh a little longer on this word if you can find a note that has a little bit more emphasis on this particular syllable mm. so it's amazing because um and I think I, you know, I, I'm not going to speak for the other artists, but I know that a lot of other artists that that did theirs in their mother language, um, it was interesting to see how you reconnect. I, I've always worked with my parents uh, whenever I've had to do something in Arabic because, mm-hmm. you know, bringing something as a seven-year-old, <laughs> mm. um, my diction is great and sort of like every day, but in terms of like when we're talking about formal Arabic, uh, it becomes a little bit more complicated. Right. Um, and so I'm always, it's like a, not like a rebonding, but it's really interesting how you sort of revert to the people you love the most and right. trust the most. Um, right. Yeah. Right. And also, how did where you filmed this at St. Raphael's Ruins near the Ottawa area, how did that play into this for you? Well, um, I mean, in, in the video, I'm holding some pictures from Old Damascus, and I was baptized in Old Damascus. Mm. And it's very, it's like old ruins, beautiful, mm. old old uh, um, monasteries. Mm. And uh, um, and so it's it was very interesting because my brother, uh, my oldest brother, who reads everything, <laughs> had found a tourist book on Ontario. And he found this place about, I don't know, about 12 years ago. And he had mentioned to us, you know, uh, the family, there's this place that in this book looks like old Damascus. We need to go check it out. Hmm. Um and so we, we always have these, you know, Sunday lunches. And so that particular Sunday, we decided to go on a picnic at St. Raphael's. And it's a beautiful place, but it's surrounded by cemetery, which we didn't know. Mm. Um, so it's kind of fun to sort of find a little plot of land where we could actually do the picnic. But mm. um, it was so beautiful. The, the moment I walked in, I, I thought, I mean, it's not in person. It doesn't look as much as... I thought it would, but it was so special. Mm. And it was something that we had um, as a family done together. And that was something that uh, meant a lot to me, just because it it kind of, you know, brought back memories of, you know, Sunday lunches, but also, you know, a place where you can remember where you're from, Mm. even though it's nowhere near where you're from, which Mm. is pretty incredible. Great. I'd like to ask you both this question as just we finish up our, our conversation, and that is, how do you both feel that what you have done with Messiah and Messiah Complex, as you're calling it, uh, how you feel that has worked with the interpretation that you've brought forward? I think the thing is about this piece and um, is this message that we try to think about as... Um, not just Christianity, but mm. as um, humans, mm. 
as being not just inclusive, but loving to everybody and everybody is the same and everybody is, a, is um, equal can sometimes feel a little bit um, alienated in a work that is so rooted in tradition. Mm. And so I think um, that's not, I know that's not the intention of anybody putting on this work, but I think that can be the, you know, the, the kind of preconception that we have, especially because when you go in to do something like Messiah, there is a specific sound that is expected um, and not just expected, but, um, you know, asked for, which is like mm. early music or, you know, um, and the tradition of it being, you know, um, very still held with scores. Um, and I think the kind of worry to offend has always been there with sacred works, mm. we'll call them sacred works, um, oratorios. Um, but the problem with that is that then, um, they're stuck in a time that isn't now. Um, mm. And we've moved forward on so many, um, not just issues, but we've moved forward in religion, in everything. Mm. It's becoming more progressive. So I feel very, I feel very passionate about not just changing the landscape that is this type of music, but always looking at it with a lens that is now and what is relevant and important to our values mm. now, because mm. that has evolved. And so why have we not done mm. so as well? Mm. And so I think that is extremely important. Mm. And, nice. And I, I echo that and tag on to just say, even just personally, again, I'm a, I'm a white Canadian who uh, was kind of brought up all over, but uh, what, Miriam brought to me when when we met and sort of who you've heard her background yeah <clears throat> and how she opened up my eyes to <clears throat> sorry diversity and just inclusion in some ways in a force capacity when when we the first time meeting the in-laws and all that <laughs> stuff with with all of her family That's and right. um if if that can happen for me, then I know that that can happen for many other people and not just people, but our industry as well. Mm. And um, I know that that's only a good thing. And I'm, I, we're not saying that Messiah has to be done this way going forward. Um, and there's so many ways that you can listen to it in the traditional way. Right. But um, this is something different. And hopefully for young people as well, um, whether they're in school or or just interested that it can just show you that there is a different side to everything. And um, all it takes is a bit of risk and a bit of, um, and a bit of opening yourself up to, to what is out there. And we live in it now. And as Miriam said, now more than ever in an incredibly diverse place with many different thoughts around religion and language and um, color of skin. And so mm -hmm. we just have to embrace that and move forward. Well, Handel's Messiah, uh, I believe, has been done um, uh, in in various interpretations uh, over many years. Uh, it's something that is uh, very prominent, I believe, at this time of year as well. Uh, you know, Miriam said something that I think kind of ties in with what you guys have done here, and and I think it's very interesting. She said, with you know, with music and with this kind of thing, you leave yourself at the door, and and then, but then she said you know, 
kind of moving this forward, it sounds like you ha- guys have sort of made this more artist-oriented. You have incorporated elements of the artist in the videos that you're doing and the interpretations that you've taken, uh, whether it's the language, uh, whether it's the physical environment that you've placed them in. And that has moved it forward in some ways. Uh, I'm wondering if you guys have stumbled onto something that might be uh, helpful in, 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 in ways for other operatic opportunities and other performances that might start to open that door more for us to envision and, and look at things differently in the future. And, you know, uh, as we said, it's uh, COVID that has kind of opened these doors for us as well. I, I hope so. I, I know that artists have kept the art and the energy going through COVID. Um, as much as companies want to do something, they can't do it without the artist present. And so I hope that we're seeing a swing of, of power shift towards artists because they're, they're the creative people. They are the musical people. They are the people that make us cry and laugh and, and smile. And uh, I hope that I know that we as a company will do more of this. And so I just Mm -hmm. hope that as other companies see the possible success of doing things like this, that they will try, try as well. Great. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking with both of, with you, uh, of you, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show and tell us about the uh, this performance of Against the Grain, Messiah Complex. As we said, it is uh, on demand, and it's on demand until uh, January the 7th, so people can go to uh, the website, as you mentioned, the uh, uh, atgtheater.com and slash Messiah Complex if they want to register online for free to see this performance uh, it sounds wonderful. I can't wait to see the whole thing. And uh, I want to thank you again for, for uh, sharing this with us and bringing this, this great performance forward with this beautiful, diverse uh, uh, arrangement that you, you, you did as well. Thank you, David. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having us. <laughs> you bet. All the best to you and uh, happy holidays. Uh, happy holidays and all the best in 2021 uh, to both of you as well. You too. Same. Thank all right. You. Take care. They're the voices of Joel Ivany. He is the founder and artistic director at the Against the Grain Theatre. And we were also speaking with his partner uh, who is performing in this uh, this performance of Messiah Complex, Miriam Khalil. And uh, she uh, is has been across stages around Canada and Europe, including the uh, United Kingdom. And uh, she's also an alumni of the Canadian Opera Company Ensemble Studio. Once again, Against the Grain and its partnership with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. It's called Messiah Complex. You can go to their website at atgtheater.com slash Messiah Complex. And you can register to see this uh, for free up until January the 7th. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Robin Grant Morin. And she was just saying, it's kind of weird being on the other side of the microphone because she actually is show host. She does the COCs, the Canadian Opera Company's new podcast, Key Change. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a, a bit of a play on words, of course, um, mm-hmm. because it, you're talking about, about uh, the Canadian Opera Company and vocalists. As you, and I understand you are a, a, an opera singer yourself. 
Yeah, I trained. Um, I have my BFA from York. I trained in classical vocal performance, but I've been more on the criticism side of things these days. Oh, yes. So listen, you know, I can't help but think as I was thinking about this and I was going, you know, this makes perfect sense that the COC is getting into doing something like this uh, as a podcast to talk about uh, opera because why not? Right In this day and yeah. age, with so much stuff going on and so many opportunities and everybody's getting into doing this kind of thing, why would the COC not uh, produce its own show on something like this where it gets people in to talk about opera? And opera, you know, I guess is still one of those those things that is still kind of misunderstood to some degree. Would you, you, would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, there's a lot of stereotypes around it. Mm. And it's, I mean, it's a very large scale kind of production, right? You've got, yeah. it, it takes a whole lot of money to make an opera go now. And so by virtue of that and how our current economic system is, that of course, opera is very expensive. So it becomes sort of an elitist activity or stereotypically elitist activity. When it's just this amazing art form that can express so much. And you know what's interesting when you said that? It reminded me of how the, the focus is so much on the, the, the singers and the mm-hmm. actors that present. But you just reminded me of the, so many other things that go into opera. The sets, you know, the magnificent sets, the lighting, you know, the sound, all of those wonderful things that create this production – and uh, and they do add so much, you know. They're mm-hmm. over the top, like you said, and and they do add so much to the to the whole presentation that you get to see. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, just to hear a well trained singer is an amazing experience, especially <laughs> in a hall that's designed mm. specifically to really highlight the beauty of the voice. Mm-hmm. But then once you add in, you know, the opulent costuming or the fantastic lighting that focuses your eye just so and the orchestra is huge and beautiful and you know yeah it just there's so much involved in making it so magical it is it's a it's a real magical experience but i guess like you said because a lot of it is sung in in foreign languages mm-hmm. right? and and that's what i was kind of getting to that oh yeah that that can be very intimidating for a lot of people mm. Um, in current productions, like at the Four Seasons Center, for example, there is there are surtitles. So mm. there's a screen above the stage yep. for those who haven't been to an opera before. And so you see the English translation as it goes. So it's a lot easier to understand. Yeah, for sure. And they're, they're doing those things to make it more accessible to people, which, right. which of course, they want to do. They want an audience to come and, yeah. and support it. But at the end of the day, it's still, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on who you speak with, (laughs) um, a very Eurocentric art form. You know, our canon is basically from Europe Mm. and Mm. largely in Italian and German. Right. And of course, there's French and Czech and Russian operas as well. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of the canon really is Italian and German stories and there's stories that have been that are quite old i mean opera started as sort of as a recognizable art form in the 1600s yep 
And the, a lot, I shouldn't, I don't want to say the bulk. I might get myself in trouble. People would disagree <laughs> with me, but most of the canons is, you know, from 1750, 1800 to like 1920 or 30. Right. Um, of course there are, there are operas outside of that on both ends, but yeah. that's that's sort of the bulk of yeah. I think what you would see programmed with an opera company, and that's really great. But they're speaking of times long gone, yes, and not telling <laughs> stories of Canada, right. and not telling stories of the people in Canada. And yet some of those things, as you say, are changing and mm-hmm. some of these are, things are getting updated and uh, to, to bring a new perspective and hopefully a new audience to, to, the, uh, to the opera style of performance. Uh, we just, in fact, uh, interviewed uh, some people about that very thing, including, and I'm sure you'll be, uh, you'll be pleased to hear this because you yourself has, have an Indigenous background, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they're including and changing the stories to make them more current, to make them more uh, with more of an Indigenous style. And I'm not saying all opera, of course, there's very selective things that, that are being done mm-hmm. with. But it is really interesting that those, those things are being done. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, growing up, I didn't know I could be in an opera. <laughs> like it just I didn't see anything relatable on that stage for me. Mm. And I'm a fair skinned Métis woman. Mm. It's more than just the visual representation. It's the stories yeah. that are told. It's right. it's it is you have to have a lot of money to to be a successful singer. Like yeah. Um, you need the, the, you need really good training and the, oh, yeah. the better you get, the more expensive your lessons get and the yeah. more you travel, it, it's an expensive art form. Um, so when you have that coupled with, you don't necessarily see anything familiar on stage mm. and you don't see familiar stories, it just, you don't think you can be part of it. Mm-hmm. And so to be changing that narrative is so thrilling. Like, I thought there was only Marion Newman. Mm. Like, I didn't know we had more Indigenous Mm. opera singers in the world than that. (laughs) I mean, like, that was a number of years ago, mind you. Um, However, yeah, I just didn't know. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And and. Well, let's look at this, what you're doing right now. There's another mm-hmm. change. You're doing this podcast with the Canadian Opera Company, Key Change. And it, mm-hmm. it, you are, in, in fact, Indigenous. And your co-host is as well, I understand. No, she's, she's not. But she's a, a kick-ass ally. <laughs> okay. And and so that's wonderful. And But oh, I know where I was going with that because some of the episodes, you actually do feature other Indigenous artists. Yes, are, we do. Yeah. So... It, there you go. It's changing. And, and and why shouldn't Indigenous people be drawn to the art form? It's just another art form. And, well, that's just it. You know? And if you're good at it, why shouldn't you be doing it, right? And, you know, our origin stories yeah. are, they're big yeah. and they're, they're complex. And they're, they really speak to the human condition. Mm. And there's, I mean, there's many different venues for our stories but 
opera is a really thrilling medium to mm-hmm. tell these grandiose, these larger than life origin stories and yeah. creation stories. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Absolutely. It is. So, you know, the one thing we, we haven't, uh, Robin, yet touched on is the fact mm-hmm. that we've been talking a lot about opera. And of course, that makes perfect <laughs> sense. But how did this key change uh, COC podcast come about? It started a little bit about just over a year ago. Um, I am a shameless podcast junkie. <laughs> and so I spoke with the marketing department. I, I am in a very privileged position. I performed in, I was in the Louis Riel opera. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's how I began my relationship with the COC. Sorry, mm. this is going to be a little bit of a roundabout no story. Worries. No worries. So um, from that, there was a group called the Indigenous Circle of Artists, which is now, I think, the name is really just the end of the circle of artists. Okay. And it was formed because of the Louis Riel production where it was recognized that there were problems with representation mm. and that there maybe are a lot of indigenous people who would love to be in this art form, but mm. don't really necessarily feel they have access to it. Mm-hmm. So this group formed to talk about strategies to try and get more Indigenous and BIPOC artists in general involved mm. and how how we can make the Canadian Opera Company maybe a little more of an inviting place. Mm. So being a member of that group, I, of course, had access to be able to speak to the marketing department in a way that I wouldn't have if I was just <laughs> like, yeah, I just got out of school <laughs> and I have this idea for you. So anyway, I spoke to marketing and they were like, this sounds great. And let's talk about it later. Mm. And then COVID happened. Right. And so I just forgot about it, to be honest, but they had done some market research and it looked like our audience, our, I say, I can't speak to any of the administrative or like the company artistic choices, Uh, but um, it looked like this was a thing that audiences might be receptive to. Mm. So um, Julie had talked about doing a podcast and because I had pitched this podcast before um, I was then contacted to say, Hey, we're, we want to make this podcast happen. So it was a really roundabout sort of strange series of events that led to it. But here we are. Right. And Julie, Julie McIsaac, your, your co-host, yes. she's a director, dramaturge in residence and yes, content curator. So, uh, yes. So the two of you do this. You've completed the first season. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. How would you say it went? Really well. Um I'm a little bit biased, of course, because <laughs> I'm the co-host. Right. Um, but it turned out so much better mm. than I ever could have imagined. There's such a great team behind us. Um, we're so well supported. We have lots of time to research mm. and really make sure we create a, re- a really, I hope, engaging mm. um, episode. And we try and do different themed episodes. So we reach, so we, we reach a number of interests. We're not just looking at, you know, how opera production specifically happen yes. or the technical side of singing yeah. or what have you. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, and the other thing, as I was thinking about this, we mentioned the sets, we mentioned the vocalists and the performers and the lighting and all of those kind of things. But the other side of this is how the the singers and the performers are are supported, and that's through the music. Mm-hmm. So you've got this wonderful, uh, you know, this wonderful uh, array of artists and musicians that are that are supporting uh, the the pre- presentation and the opera itself. Uh, without the music, there wouldn't be much going on. Yeah, it's so true. The opera sounds real funny without an orchestra. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and so that's the other side. You've got these wonderful musicians that are sitting there performing behind uh, the, the, the presenters, which are the singers, of course, that, are, that everyone's looking at. But most of them are all hidden, right? They're all uh, mm-hmm. under the stage. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we can't forget about them. Yeah, and I love that our show gives time to celebrate all the people. Like our fourth episode, we talked to Michael Levine about Parsifal, um, an opera that was supposed to be staged at the end of this season Mm. or beginning of this season. Oh, my goodness. COVID brain. Yeah. Such COVID brain. Um, Anyway, so in his production, there's a ton of blood. Mm. On like the stage is covered in blood by the end of it. Like a a lot of the performers get soaked in blood. So we talked to the the head of costuming at the COC um, to to find out how they dealt with all the blood because those are things that just you don't necessarily get access to or think about if you're just in the audience watching. So that we have space that we can investigate these these other people and celebrate all the people who make it happen and that's so wonderful you know because normally these are the people that get you know lost in the background right they don't get that Mm -hmm. time to shine and they should because everybody's part uh, makes it the whole and and without one of those things it just wouldn't be the same yeah i mean as a theater person you know how this goes right it's literally you know, hundred can be hundreds yeah. of people. And so if one thing goes wrong, yep. the whole that that suspension of disbelief mm. can be completely destroyed. Right. And <laughs> so it's it's this amazing team sport. It is. You're, you're, it's true. It is a team sport. And uh, and it is that team effort that makes it all come to pass. As you were talking there, I couldn't help but think about the things that do go wrong in spite of everybody's, <laughs> everybody's you know, attempt to make sure it goes perfectly. Things always happen and you have to just react with it at the time. And there's probably some great stories you could probably do for your next season, you know, on those very kind of things that go wrong with you, you know. I'm sure, I that would just be imagine. a fun episode yeah. Everybody's got a story. Oh, yeah. So speaking of that, what do you have uh, planned for the next season? What are you thinking of doing? Well, we're looking a little bit more at different. So the first season is about how opera happens. You Mm. know, it's going to an opera, what to expect at the opera house, how to listen to an opera, Mm. talking about story content, um, talking about how theater magic happens. Mm. The episode, the final episode in this season, we actually, I think of it as the really cool Métis episode. (laughs) Um, It it features Cherie Dimaline and Ian Cousin talking about their adaption of Cherie's The Mare of Thieves. Right. So yeah, it's a little bit more about 
the past, present, and future and how to go to an opera. So the next season, we we look more into different perspectives. We're going to look at like how your position in the production really impacts how you understand and appreciate opera. Nice. It sounds great. You know, Robin, just before we go, we're, we're, you mm-hmm. know, it's been such a pleasure having you on our show and talking about what you do at the COC with Key Change. But, you know, we talked a little bit about the fact that you are also a classical singer and you're trained mm-hmm. and, as you say, went through York. What made you interested in wanting to pursue that? Well, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a late bloomer. Okay. I did I started my degree at 35, mm-hmm. <laughs> but Good for I you. had thank you. I had been a I when I first went to university out of high school, I was playing saxophone. All right, and I had I really wanted to sing. My mom was a singer. She she sang in the church. People hired her to sing at their weddings and funerals and and such. And she sang in every choir and, and she had, she had a really beautiful voice and I really wanted to do that. Mm. But, you know, when you've got a parent who everybody says like, Oh, your, your mom, your, you know, she's a great singer, you know, I, I hope you got her voice. Mm. And then when you're like five and you definitely don't have her voice because you're five, <laughs> not a mature yeah, right. woman. <laughs> and so people tease little kids. Right. Yeah. But I had this, like, it, they were big shoes to fill. Sure. And so I didn't think I could do it. And so I played saxophone instead. Right. And I did that for, um, a number of years, but I dropped out of university after second year and ended up in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And strangely, I had started listening to Saturday Afternoon at the Opera yeah. when I was a teenager because I was a bit of a rebellious teen and mm-hmm. I was into the metal and the grunge and the hard rock and the, you know, the Motley Crew and the Guns and Roses and um, so it was a real act of transgression and rebellion to listen to Saturday Afternoon at the Opera. Right. So that's what got me focused on opera. Oh. And then I had heard Jesse Norman, a recording of her singing Dido's Lament mm. from um, Dido and Aeneas. Mm. And it's this powerful aria. Dido is committing suicide. Mm. Um, and she's saying, like, please remember me. But don't remember all the harm I've caused, all the mm. hurt I've caused. And mm. it was just such a powerful, right. powerful aria. And I was like, I really want to do that. Anyway, so fast forward for a few, to a few years in Toronto. I was in massage school. Uh, that was my day job. <laughs> but while I was there, the, there was the theme of reclaiming your body. Huh. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to learn how to use my voice. I'm going to claim my body. Mm. And so I started taking voice lessons as an act of reclamation of myself. Mm. And it turned out I have a really big voice that is well suited. Um, Will I ever be a great singer? Probably not because I did start very late. Right. And I do have stage fright. Mm. Um, However, I did manage to get my degree. I have sung in some stuff and I have worked on things and that's, really thrilling and more than I thought I would ever get to do. So anyway, that's uh, the how Robin became interested in opera, sort of Cole's Notes version. 
Well, that's fabulous. <laughs> Listen, congratulations to you on doing all of those things, you know, uh, really. And, and Robin, uh, for, for people that want to know more about uh, the uh, key change at the COC, where can they go to uh, find out more? You can go to uh, coc.ca slash key change. All right. And they can hear those episodes that you previously recorded. Yeah, from they're all season. up. And yeah, we love we love getting mail. We love hearing what people think and getting suggestions for episodes. Mm-hmm. And I gave you one. Yes, you did. I'm <laughs> writing that down. Make sure I get credit now. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> Robin, such a pleasure to speak with you. Congratulations on your podcast, Key Change at the COC. And uh, people can go to find out more by going to the coc.ca slash key change. And uh, all the best in the future. Thank you. And thank you for your time and having me today. It was really fun. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. I certainly <laughs> did too. So take care. You as well. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And that is Robin Grantmore, and she is a co-host of Key Change on the Canadian Opera Company's new podcast. It's bi-weekly. You can find out more by going to thecoc.ca slash keychange. And as she mentioned, they're going to start up uh, later on uh, this month in January of 2021. And you can also go there to find out uh, their, from their last season and the shows they did as well. Such a pleasure to speak with her and uh, all the best to her and Key Change uh, in the future. And that is Moment of Truth for today. I'm your host, David Moses. Thank you for listening to Element FM and Moment of Truth each and every day right here on 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. We'll see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.